0: the complexity of human rights. The Book of Bamidbor comes to a close that's very strange indeed. Earlier in the parashah of Pinchas, we read of how the five daughters of Tzlovchot came to Moses with a claim based on justice and human rights. Their father had died without sons. Inheritance, in this case a share in the land, passes through the male line, but here there was no male line. Surely their father was entitled to his share, and. They were his only heirs by rights. The share should come to them. Why should our father's name be disadvantaged in his family, merely because he didn't have a son? Give us a portion of the land along with our father's brothers. Well, Moses had received no instruction about such an eventuality, so he asked God directly, and God found in favor of the women. Cain benot Tzlovchot, the daughters of Tzlovchot are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. He gave Moses further instructions about the disposition of inheritance and the narrative then passes on to other matters. Only now, right at the end of the book, many chapters later, does the Torah report on an event that arose directly from that case. The leaders of Tzlofchazd's tribe, Manasseh, son of Joseph, came and made the following complaint. If the land would to have passed to Tzlovchod's daughters and they married men from another tribe, the land would eventually pass to their husbands and thus to their husbands' tribes. Thus, the land that had initially been granted to the tribe of Manasseh might be lost in perpetuity. Again, Moses took the case to God who offered a simple solution. The daughters of Tzlovchod were entitled to the land, but so too was the tribe. Therefore, if they wish to take possession of the land, they must marry men from within their own tribe. That way, both claims could be honoured. The daughters didn't lose their right to the land, but they did lose some freedom in choosing a marriage partner. The two passages are intimately related. They use the same terminology. Both Tzlovchod's daughters and the leaders of the clan are said to draw near. They use the same verb to describe their potential loss. Yigara, disadvantaged. God replies in both cases with the same locution. gain, dovrot or dovrim. Rightly do they speak. Why then are the two episodes separated in the text? Why does the book of Numbers end on this seemingly anticlimactic note? And does it have any relevance today? Well, Bamidbar is a book about individuals. It begins with a census whose purpose is less to tell us the actual number of Israelites than to lift their heads. The unusual locution that Torah uses to convey the idea that when God orders a census, it's to tell people that they each count. The book also focuses on the psychology of individuals. We read of Moses' despair, Aaron Miriam's criticism of him, of the spies who lacked the courage to come back with a positive r- report, of the malcontents led by Korach who challenged Moses' leadership. We read about Joshua and Caleb, Eldad, Medad, Datan and Aviram, Zimri and Pincus, Balak and Bilam and others. This emphasis on individuals reaches a climax in Moses' prayer to God of the spirits of all flesh to appoint. successor, understood by the sages in rashi to mean appoint a leader who will deal with each individual as an individual, who will relate to people in their uniqueness and singularity. And that is the context of the claim of Tzlovchot's daughters. They were claiming their rights as individuals, justly so. As many of the commentators pointed out, the behaviour of women throughout the wilderness years was exemplary, while that of the men was opposite. The men, not the women, gave gold for the golden calf. The spies were men. A famous comment by the Kliakar of Shlomir Freim Lunchitz suggests that had Moses sent women instead, they would have come back with a positive report. Recognizing the justice of their cause, God affirmed their rights as individuals. But society is not built on individuals alone. As the book of Judges points out, individualism is another name for chaos. en In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Hence the insistence throughout B'midba on the central role of the tribes as the organizing principle of Jewish life. The Israelites were numbered tribe by tribe. The Torah sets out their precise encampment around the Mishkan and the journey and the order in which they were to journey. At Nassau, at inordinate length, the Torah specifies the gifts of each tribe at the inauguration of the Mishkan, despite the fact that they each gave exactly the same. The tribes were not accidental to the structure of Israel as a society, like the United States of America, whose basic political structure is that of a federation of originally 13, now 50 states, Israel was, until the appointment of a king, a federation of tribes. The existence of something like tribes is fundamental to a free society. The modern state of Israel is built on a vast panoply of ethnicities Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Jews from Eastern, Central, and Western Europe, Spain and Portugal, Arab lands, Russia, Ethiopia, America, South Africa, Australia, and other places. Some of them Hasidic, some Yeshivish, some modern, some traditional, yet others secular and cultural. We each have a series of identities based partly on family background, partly on occupation, partly on locality and community. These tribes, these mediating structures, larger than the individual but smaller than the state, are where we develop our complex, vivid, face-to-face interactions and identities. They're the domain of family, friends, neighbours and colleagues, and they make up what is collectively known as civil society. A strong civil society is essential to freedom. That's why, Alongside individual rights, a society must make space for group identities. The classic instance of the opposite was the French Revolution. In the course of the debate in the French Revolutionary Assembly in 1789, the Count of clermont tonnerre made his famous declaration to the Jews as individuals, everything, to Jews as a nation, nothing. If they insisted on defining themselves as a nation, that is, as a distinct subgroup within the Republic, said the Count, we shall be compelled to expel them. Now, initially, this sounded reasonable. Jews were being offered civil rights in the new secular nation-state. However, it was anything but. It meant that Jews would have to give up their identity as Jews in the public domain. Nothing, not religious or ethnic identity, should stand between the individual and the state. It was no accident that a century later France became one of the epicenters of European antisemitism, beginning with Édouard Drummond's vicious La France Juive in 1886 and culminating in the Dreyfus trial. Hearing the Parisian crowd shout, «Morte aux Juifs, death to the Jews!» Herzl realized The Jews still hadn't been accepted as citizens of Europe, despite all the protestations to the contrary. They found themselves regarded as a tribe in a Europe that claimed to have abolished tribes. European emancipation recognised individual rights, but not collective ones. The primatologist Franz de Waal whose work among the Bonnebos we mentioned in this year's Coming in Conversation on Korach makes the point powerfully. Almost the whole of Western modern culture, he says, was built on the idea of autonomous choosing individuals. But that is not who we are. We're people with strong attachments to family, friends, neighbours, allies, co-religionists, and people of the same ethnicity. He continues, A morality exclusively concerned with individual rights tends to ignore the ties, needs, and interdependencies that have marked our existence from the very beginning. It is a cold morality that puts space between people, assigning each person to his or her own little corner of the universe. How this caricature of society arose in the minds of eminent thinkers is a mystery. That is precisely the point the Torah is making, when it divides the story of the daughters of Tzlovchad into two. The first part in Parsha's Pinchas is about individuals' rights, the rights of Tzlovchad's daughters to a share in the land. The second, at the end of the book, is about group rights, in this case the right of the tribe of Manasseh to its territory. The Torah affirms both because both are necessary to a free society. Many of the most seemingly intractable issues in contemporary Jewish life have appeared because Jews, especially in the West, are used to a culture in which individual rights are held to override all others. We should be free to live as we choose, worship as we choose, and identify as we choose. But a culture based solely on individual rights will undermine families, communities, traditions, loyalties, and shared codes of reverence and restraint. Despite its enormous emphasis on the value of the individual, Judaism also insists on the value of those institutions that preserve and protect our identities as members of groups that make them up. We have rights as individuals, but identities only as members of tribes. Honouring both is delicate, difficult, and necessary. The ends by showing us how. Shabbat Shalom.